Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have something if you want to be with me. everyone welcome to the portal to justice that was a billy preston cover um <clears throat> welcome to the portal to justice the window to the truth i am your host amelia duran and it is friday may 7th 2021 and uh it's the karmic margin call project the war on poverty and um today i'm having on two special guests just one moment ah here we go um janet berkowitz and uh she is a multifaceted educator and performer who has shared her talents for over 30 years throughout the east coast and she's been interested in the arts as a healing tool ever since she studied psychology and drama at the Clark University in Westchester, Massachusetts. Um, she uh, struggles. She has uh, her own personal struggles and, and stories that she's going to be sharing with us today. Um, but she's also, uh, she, she works with Suicide Anonymous. Uh, she does meetings in New Jersey. Janet has recently completed a consumer connection core training on her way to becoming a a certified recovery support practitioner. So, um, we're having Janet Berkowitz on the show and Michael Schumann, who is the administrator of the Karmic Margin Call Project. And, uh, he helps good people with impeccable character leverage their time and talent in an effort to save no less than 9 million people a year. Michael is a very special coordinator for the Karmic Margin Call Project, um, and he runs the virtual service Time Bank. He's also a performing artist and coach. So um, 
Yeah, let's go ahead and get them on the show. But today I'm, I'm, I'm having them on as like a panel um, because I want to talk about, you know, uh, we as a people uh, worldwide, but in America uh, specifically, I think because um, America's uh, position on the world stage, what we stand for, um, innovation, and, um, you know, we, we are a people, a very industrious people uh, on our, in our own right. Um, we are a beacon of light throughout the world. So um, we have survived so much with the COVID lockdown. We've survived uh, the targeting and the isolation and the war on our family units, economic insecurity, um, and you know, why I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking them today, um, you know, I, we've all experienced a trauma and, um, I'm asking them today, you know, to, why are we, uh, I have questions. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I just, I'm finding it hard to believe how we got to this place where, um, you know, we are, you know, there's this uh, feminizing of our men. Um, there's just, there's uh, teaching women to dislike their femininity. Fem- we're teaching hate is what we're doing. We're teaching women not to like their femininity, um, you know, and, and boys not to, uh, like their masculinity, masculinity. There's a, there's a war on our boys, uh, which I've had Paula Flo on the show in the past. And we've discussed this too. And, um, you know, the feminization of our men and boys. So I wanted to have, let me go ahead and try and get them. Let's see. I think I started early here. Anyways, feel free to say hello in the live chat. Um, I'm going to go ahead and be sharing a link to the podcast here. Let's see. I'm not getting... Welcome to the Portal to Justice. We're live. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So I just did a you know a brief introduction um, about you and Janet. Uh, a little bit about the Karmic Margin Call Project for people that are tuning in. Though, um, would you like to introduce yourself, and then Janet can go next. Absolutely. I just want to make sure if Janet can hear this. Um, we were on the other line, and then you rang through here. Janet, can you hear me? Okay, we might have to call in again, uh, Amelia, but uh, yes, I'll be happy to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Mike Schumann. I'm the Administrative Director of the Karmic Margin Call Project, and uh, I am here with uh, Janet Berkowitz, and we'll have her on the line as well here very shortly. We, um, yeah, we do performances about uh, suicide and bullying, and uh, after we had our last conversation, Amelia, uh, we started talking a little bit about those issues and how there's a lot of misunderstandings in the, in the mental health community about it, and also about um, emotional intelligence, emotional IQ, and we wanted to invite uh, Janet in uh, in this conversation as well and just kind of talk about, you know, the realities of it and, and have that, that deep conversation about you know, something that really affects a lot of people in our world. Awesome. Okay. Um, I'll let you go ahead and do that. Great. Great. I'm going to call her back and I'm going to try to patch in again here in just a moment. All right. Okay. All right. Great. So, um, 2021, I am going to be hosting a series of shows with the karmic margin call project. Um, 
interviewing individuals about their own um, struggles with poverty, um, targeting, uh, gang stalking, bullying, um, uh, on a on on a on a, a global level, um, we've you know our culture and society, especially online, we have um, and, and in our mainstream media as well, just a certain level of you know gaslighting and. Uh, psychological warfare and and then we've become sort of immune to this bullying culture online as well trolling and targeting online um and a lot of it does involve you know drugs and human trafficking and uh a lot of these topics that are um infiltrating our society our communities um you know and and I I mentioned a little bit about the feminizing of our men and um it's almost you know we're we're experiencing a war like we've never experienced before and um you know, it's on our uh it's on our individuality. It's on, on, uh, you know, there's a bullying to conform. Um, and, uh, you know, not be our own unique selves. And I think, um, you know, there, there's an element of psychological abuse that I'm hoping that, um, Michael and Janet can help me, you know, speak to, uh, with you all. Uh, this afternoon on the podcast. So I'm trying to wait patiently here. Also, too, I'm going to be having uh, David Malcolm on the show. Hi. Hi, I'm uh, calling in here. We're having a little bit of issues getting Janet on the line. I'm going to try one more time. And uh, if we're not able to get in all together, I'm going to have her dial in. And uh, I'll, I'll be listening on the sidelines here. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to try one more time. Okay. So it'll be just I'm, another moment. Thank okay. you. Um, and I, okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and share with you. I'm going to be having a uh, guest, David Malcolm, back on the show again. Um, he's going to be talking about... Uh, the war on the family unit and the the war between, you know, male and female um, and those whole dynamics that are going on there as well. It's almost as if everything has been infiltrated, you know, down to, the, you know, exactly how to micromanage and target the individual. So um, I'm going to be hosting a series of shows and I'm having um, upcoming guests coming on and they're going to talk about their struggles with being targeted and poverty and homelessness, um, all about these issues so that um, all of us here at the Karmic Margin Call uh, project can come together collectively and, you know, try to figure out ways to really service this community. Um, and, you know, I want to hear from people like, you know, people that are tuning in that, um are having issues struggling with poverty and homelessness um, and, and how, you know, what, how are they coping and what are, um, what, what are the struggles that you deal with on a daily basis, um, you know, so that we can uh, put all of our heads together. Hi. The call here. Are you with us? Yes. All right. We're all here. We did it. Yay. <laughs> Great. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm considered a privilege. I, uh, I, you know, I let I let uh, um, Michael Schumann uh, introduce himself a little bit uh, briefly, and I was hoping um, you would do the same as well. Okay. So um, I have I was asked to do this because I have an extensive personal history with suicidal ideation since I was eight years old due to bullying, daily bullying, and it just kept coming back as an adult. 
And finally, after I got help in the, um, you know, in the mental health world, we, you know, going to programs, day programs and all, I started to work in the field. I'd always wanted to do it. And so this was kind of pushing me because I noticed that when I worked in the field, I felt better. So I've designed workshops on suicide prevention using the arts. And I um, have written a play about it, and we're preparing it for Zoom. I'm now writing a book on my history with it called Sewer Love, because that's the word I created to knock out the word suicide from obsessed, you know, repeating in my head. I um, work at a state level in New Jersey on several committees for suicide prevention, and I love it. It's like talking about suicide is. It's very natural for me and very comfortable, but it wasn't for a long time, and that is why I kept using the arts and uh, uh, creative role-playing to find a way through it. I am an artist, a dancer, a mime, and I have mime skits about it, and now I have my own business called Creative Communication Builder. No, excuse me, that was the old name. Now it's Creative Crisis Care. Because as time went on, I realized that I was taking all these communication skills that I was learning and designing them for crisis. And that's why I changed the name of the business. So I love doing this kind of stuff. I'm really honored that you asked me, guys, to, to be with you on this. And by the way, Mike, who is here, is the director of my show. And um, we're going to start working together on workshops and... Uh, um, also, I do workshops on bullying, so that's what I'm hoping to go forward with. So, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. So, you. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it a little bit uh, on the onset of the podcast, but, um, you know, we as a collective have endured so much since the beginning of COVID-19 and this lockdown. And um, it, it occurred to me that collectively the, that humanity has really um, suffered a trauma. Um, and there we're, we have been teaching this um, hate in our, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching young boys to hate their masculinity. We're teaching young girls to hate their femininity. We're teaching, um, you know, people to hate their, to just, they're, we're, we're, we're teaching, we're teaching young women and men to hate their sex and masculinity. We're teaching Americans to hate their country. We're teaching Westerners to hate their history and culture. And we're we're teaching hate. It's a bullying epidemic in our, our mainstream media and online. And, and um, why are we doing this? Wow, what a question. Yeah. Oh, my God, a million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my flat-out answer is fear. It's, my life is simple. If it ain't love, it's fear. And fear under fear comes all those other emotions, anger, shame, doubt, you know, sadness. That's how I keep it very simple like that. If I, if I have an emotion, I go, I ask, what's, under, what's the fear under this? And I just see what you just called a massive movement to really basically hate ourselves is to me, a massive movement to keep fear alive. Why would we want to do such a thing? It's like hard to imagine, but I think it goes back to um, Nelson Mandela's quote about, we're just really scared of our success. We're scared to succeed. Of our brilliance, you know? Well, yeah, and then there's also this this bullying and gang stalking going on online to really conform to um you know blm or or uh you know teaching white people to hate their race and culture um just inverted this inverting inverted teaching of self 
and, mm-hmm. and it's unlike any other time in the history of America because I myself personally remember growing up that I was taught I grew up in Los Angeles school system where um, it, you know it's a melting pot of you know there's there's you know the Asian community the black community um, I myself am multicultural and you know we were taught to judge people by the content of their character and um there seems to be this really invasive intrusive um psychological warfare that's taken place uh in our society and culture here in America uh, you know that is unprecedented really yeah yeah, this is Mike. Uh, Amelia, I'd like to, I'd like to talk to that a little bit too. I think a lot of that is, um, and I've been talking a lot about this on some of the, the presentations I've been giving recently, is this competitiveness and this tribalism. There's this, um, idea when we, when we're not really addressing our own, you know, our, our own relationships or, or not really, you know, being able to take care of the people we love. Um, you know, we use anger as a distraction, and uh, there's this there's this tribalistic mentality that um, you know it's us against them, and uh, you know we use that anger to cover up. You know, we, we we actually talk about this in the play, Janet. There's this anger that talk that covers up this this sadness and this grief. You know, and we haven't had time to really mourn or grieve. Um, you know, over, you know, some of the things, you know, some of our, our expectations that haven't been fulfilled. And underneath that, it's like there's a lot of shame. You know, we're, you know, we're ashamed to be male. We're ashamed to be female. We're ashamed to be American. We're ashamed, um, you know, to be, to be who we honestly are. We're ashamed to love. And it's kind of like that that shame covers up, you know, that, that child that wasn't allowed to love, that wasn't allowed to express, that wasn't allowed to create. So I, I am seeing it all over, you know, what you're describing, Amelia, the, you know, this, 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 I don't know what it is. It's kind of like this, this handing over of hate or this, this learning by a, of, of osmosis of hate. And I think that that comes back to this myth that there's not enough for, for, you know, for, for people to have what they, they want or what they need to be able to do what they want in life. And we get so competitive and when we get competitive, we tend to hold on to our tribe, <laughs> you know, our, you know, you know, who we think of as our tribe. And, um, yeah, how do we deepen that conversation? How do we, you know, how do we have those human conversations with our leadership? I've been noticing a lot how you've, uh, you've been talking a lot about, you know, uh, we need our leaders now to step up and to practice that kind of emotional IQ. And, uh, yeah, how do we deepen that conversation? You know, and the thing is, is that um, it's almost it's almost to a disgusting, I find it nauseating level in our mainstream media. Um mm-hmm. It's where to the point to where I feel like it is intentionally weaponized against the people. And I don't think that collectively the people really fully grasp the level of trauma that they've endured during this lockdown and what's been um, inflicted upon the collective. Um, it, it is war. It's it's war like any like no other war America has experienced. It's psychological warfare at every level, and um, when you break a person down uh, in so many ways and infiltrate down to the individual, the unique individual, where people seem to feel more comfortable in packs to target one individual. Um, you, you, it becomes a spiritual war at that point. Mm. And um, my thing is, is I really want to talk about today is um, coping tools as well as, um, you know, resources. And uh, a little bit about your, you know, Janet's experience, if you'd, if you'd be so gracious to share more um, with us, Janet. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of what I do is based on this notion that we expend about 90% of our energy suppressing feelings. So my whole thing is let's get those feelings up as much as you're ready to do. Because I have worked with clients where I work with mental health clients as a peer counselor. 
someone who has mental health issues themselves. I have bipolar disorder and a lot of, like I said, suicidal ideation from the past. And I work in the field. So with my clients, um, I'm like, first I got to check out where they're at because I have gone too far with people. I've done role plays and they tell me for days afterwards they couldn't even lift their head off the pillow. And I had to really look at that. How do I meter out where the person is? Um, so, you know, I, I created this whole tool bag of things to do. Mostly, like I said, based on the art. And you don't have to be in a class or a group to do a lot of these things. Um, I train myself to, like, I'll do a role play with myself. I'll pull up two chairs up. And just to give you an example, as far as suicide goes, I'll sit in one chair and I'll play me. And I'll talk to this, I'll put, I'll put a stuffed animal in the other chair as the suicide. And I'll talk to the suicide. And I'll tell the suicide why I'm so pissed at it, that it's in my life and how much, how scared I am of it. And I don't know what to do and whatever. I'll just get all those emotions out. And then I'll go sit in that chair. And as the suicide, I will tell Janet why I'm in this life. Like what I discovered was, Suicide wasn't going anywhere until I really looked at my need to people please, which I see a lot in the clients. Um, they, they just they every now and then I see someone who's very uh, rebellious and refuses to go along with anything. But most of the clients I work with are people pleasers, and it's killing them. It is killing me. So then we got to go. Okay, well let's let's keep going with the role play. Let's see, and then we take. Let's take that suicide and draw it. Or, you know, let's, let's uh, find or I do something where I roll out a big piece of paper and everyone has big fat crayons in their hands. And I first have them talk to each other with the crayons only. So I'll, give, I'll go through the five main emotions. I work with mad, glad, sad, fear, shame. And each emotion, they will do a dialogue with the crayons I will use music that matches that feeling, and they have to talk to each other about the shame they're feeling, back and forth with crayons. Then they go through all five feelings. And then the final one is joy. I have them dancing around the tables, uh, you know, we are family, and they're coloring their joy out. And then they finally get to rip up the paper. Because all these emotions, you know, Mike mentioned the emotional IQ. That is really something we need to start paying attention to in schools. It's ridiculous that we're putting so much energy on, you know, intelligence. And a kid has to take a math test when the night before mommy and daddy were having this vicious fight. And they're in school now all coiled up with their own anger. And they have to take a test. Not only that, so I not, it, not only I, if I just may interject, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but they're, ahead, they're also, fine. you know, really um, imposing identity politics on these on these kids. What you do know, you mean? Identity politics, like you know, um, identifying with um, Black Lives Matter or identifying with. Um, oh, it, mm, that's a that's a great point, Amelia. Really good point. Um, so they have all that going on in their heads. And, the, you know, the other common term that you hear, you know, there's this mentality out there, Janet, that really disturbs me, uh, that, that oh, suicide is cowardly. And I think... Oh, I I think we really miss the point because, I, you know, mm-hmm. what's really cowardly is hurting someone and bullying someone so much that they want to end their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we have really misused that word. And so imagine all the people who have successfully uh, completed a suicide with that shame going on in their head. Oh, I'm a coward. I'm just, you know. And I started many years ago talking about that exact thing. I kept saying everywhere I went, I said, I'm sorry, but I do not see this as cowardly. I think that the final act of suicide is the most courageous thing you could do because you're more alone than you could possibly be, ever. I've worked with, uh, you know, murderers on on death row, and they're much happier people than, you know, they, they, you know, they, they find, well, not on death row, I've worked with, you know, people who are lifers, that's who I worked with, and they were happy. They were doing videos, they were, you know, 
they turn their lives around. But I have never met a suicidal person who's so close to the end that there's any joy in them. You know, they may go into a trance, but a lot of them go into a like a fantasy land just before they do it. But there's not a joy there because it's such a scary thing to do that whole thing all alone. So I, I say that for me, the closer I got to it, the I, I, it took more courage. The idea of actually doing it kept taking more and more courage for me, but I didn't want to do it. So I always put myself in a hospital before I did. But I, I think that's a horrible thing we've done to this issue, to call it cowardly. Yeah, I, I, and also, you know, I think it's kind of a cop-out because we don't want to look at um, some of these, you know, prevailing uh psychological abuses and gaslighting that is going on, um, especially with the advent of the internet. But, um, you know, I really, I wanted to speak to the emotional IQ as well, but on a global level, you know, um, I, I did mention this, you know, and we were, we were doing some, I, I was doing some research on the issue of bullying and, I came across a website on through Google that uh, was, you know, it's a it's a huge issue in China and in all levels of their schools and 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 every level of their society, the bullying to conform. It's actually a political arm of their system, and um, you know, having that awareness and then you know having COVID nineteen come out of China. And then having, um, you know, all of what has, you know, gone on so far with traumatizing the American people, um, you know, I have to consider that, you know, it, it, are we are we looking, is this what we're looking at now as a political arm here in America? Um, I, I, I would like to uh, believe that, you know, we would, we would do enough self-examination that we would actually become self-aware to stop this. Absolutely. I'd like to speak to that, Amelia, too. Sometimes also, when you think about the um, kind of like the organization or the engineering of bullying, um, one of the things that have always you know really helped me in researching this and, and understanding kind of like the, the political agenda and the business plan of big tech companies and how you know, how they do try to put people in emotional states to be able to to sell things or to develop new habits, and bullying is a part of that. Um, One thing that has, you know, really helped me get real about that is um, understanding how it's really coming from both both sides of a problem. Um, You know, usually when you think you're, you're completely right, um, you know, you start to take on some of the, um, you know, some of the qualities of the bully. Um, so when you're expressing anger, you know, you know, covering up some of that, you know, some of the, those aggressive feelings, those feelings about being misunderstood, um, you know, you can kind of, in a way, it's, and it sounds weird, kind of step into the world of, of the bully. Janet, I'd like to, to hear you speak to that as well, too, because, um, you know, we, we, you know a lot more about this than I do, but, you know, in, in our performance, in our discussions, we talk about, you know, how everybody at some point in their life has either been bullied, been a bully, and been the bystander. Um, so, so to really be able to psychologically defend yourself, to really be able to see the bigger picture and how this is, is, is engineered and how polarization is engineered... Um, it really, it really helps to take a step back and separate, you know, what is the facts, you know, what is actually observable, you know, what is the story that you're telling yourself based on some of the trauma that you might have been through, and then what are some of the feelings that you are feeling? Um, Janet, we talked about this uh, earlier today, but do you want to speak a little bit more on the bully, the bullied, and the bystander? Yeah, um... I read a book years ago by that name, and I was fascinated by it because I, it made me think, you know, I saw myself for years as a bullied child. Every day I was bullied, and at eight years old, I was suicidal. So um, when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, I was the bullied. I wasn't a bully, 
And we even have a line in our play where I say, hey, I'm no bully. And then Mike, as the prosecuting attorney in the play, says, well, now, wait a minute. Isn't there a time when you were bullied? You yelled at your mother or your dog? And I say, yes, you're right. So when I've taught this workshop, I give kids a chance. I've worked with teenagers with this, where they get to become each one and draw out or write out thoughts about being each one. And it was amazing how many of them admitted to being bullies and said, gee, I never looked at this before. I never thought of myself as a bully. And um, so it's subtle. Bullying is so subtle when it's not obvious. We, we mostly observe the obvious bullying. But there's ways that we communicate with each other that, you know, like language where we, even saying to someone, you are being this way or you are doing this, just starting a sentence with you. For me, I experience it as a form of subtle bullying. So I always ask people, could you please start your sentence with I and tell me how you feel about my behavior rather than tell me what I'm doing. Um, I had a therapist, a couple therapists who kept using you statements. And when I tried to correct her as gently as I could, she didn't like it. She didn't want to continue working with us until she started to recognize how dangerous that can be. And um, very few therapists are willing to look at that. That's my experience. So we've gotten very, in our language, we've gotten very used to bullying and we hardly even notice it. Um, but the looking at yourself as all three, some of them are very, you know, you maybe you've been a bystander once or twice. You've been in a store and you saw a woman, uh, you know, yelling at her kid and you watched. You're not a bad person for standing there and watching it, but you are a bystander. You know, that's just what's going on. So the, the trick next is to look at, well, how did I feel about being a bystander? How did I feel about being bullied or being a bully? Um, before you, Without judging yourself. That's the real killer in all of this. We're judging ourselves for being any of this. Anything negative we think is bad. And I've, I've taken the words bad, good, wrong, right. I, I hardly use them at all. I just go back to, well, how do you feel about this? Can you love yourself and accept yourself when you're doing this thing that you think is bad? Because we're all three of them at some time, most likely. I would, I would suggest definitely, but, you know, let's for now say most likely. You know, yeah, and yeah, go ahead, Amina. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Go right ahead. Yeah, and, yeah, what comes up for me as you were saying all that too, Janet, is that, you know, when we're looking at this, you know, being orchestrated, contrived on a, on a, on a global level. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded about how, you know, when you go to school and you're supposed to be educated to learn how to, to make a better life, um, my experience of that was, you know, being bullied every single day, uh, being harassed, being emotionally abused, that there was no safety whatsoever to have joy in learning new things. And as that, as I processed that trauma, um, I got into martial arts. I learned about NLP, neuro linguistic programming. I learned about all of these things that would help me feel more confident and gain an advantage when I was talking to people. Um, but it's very easy to cross that line and become a psychological bully, become a gaslighter, you know, become somebody who, who, um, you know, kind of, uh, psychologically manipulates. And, and we see that in business all the time. The businesses are run by, uh, you know, by people who I believe are developing what's called acquired sociopathy, where they don't have the same mechanisms of, of sympathy. Um, of empathy and, uh, you know, that kind of switches off. And, uh, you know, part of me is kind of like, I understand how as a business strategy, um, and as a government strategy, the bullying arm is a natural, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it just, it's a, it's a byproduct of that, of that competitiveness, which is based in trauma. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think that's the deeper discussions that we're, we're, we're starting to have is that how do we, how do we become empathetic, um, to when we are bullying others 
Because um, normally, if you go back deep enough, if you really process the trauma from childhood, you really process, you know, some of the misunderstandings, you know, you find that a lot of the bullies were terribly bullied themselves. And I'm, I'm very curious about how do we get to that point? How do we get into that fire? How do we get into that conversation where we, we can kind of disarm the bully? You brought, up, you brought up an interesting um, point about it being, you know, sort of a corporate mentality and business strategy. Um, you know, I noticed when um, the lock, you know, prior to the to the lockdowns um, occurring, you know, there was this movement with the the Black Lives Matter to destroy small businesses. Um, in, you know, mom and pops in these small towns where, you know, they were already poverty stricken. And it, and it sort of caused um, a domino effect to where they weren't able to, after the lockdown, and a lot of business weren't able to totally come back. And so um, a lot more people were reliant on big corporations like Target and Amazon. Um and I see a lot of these strategies within government, mainly because, you know, as you know, as a host of Porthole of Justice for the last seven years, I've done hundreds of shows on, um, you know, the corruption within Child Protective Services and these parents um, being targeted online, uh, you know, corrupt judges sharing uh, court case files with yellow journalists and, um, you know, getting paid by corporate interests to target specific parents that were winning their cases, um, in court, but publicly, um, they were, their, their case files were being used for bullying. Um, and I saw this occur over and over again. And, and I actually, uh, recorded someone telling the truth of one of the yellow journalists. I, and I, I played the recording on my show. It's archived. So I can, I feel like I can speak freely about this, but he was being paid by corporate interest to, to conduct this with a group of gang stalkers. And, um, it's concerning to me that it's 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 on that in, in micromanage level. It's on on that individual level. It really is. It's 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 a horrible situation that we're in, and it's come to the point to where there is a whole system that will target an individual and liquidate their assets in probate courts using <clears throat> using these techniques. And, um, you know, I, I reported on it time and time again. So, and then we, we, you know, we see things like, you know, the Black Lives Matter that, you know, targeted small mom and pop businesses, most of which were in their own local towns. They relied on those mom and pop businesses and, and they were already, uh, weakened with poverty to begin with. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing this series of shows and um, speaking, you know, speaking to you and Janet and other people that are struggling with these issues and how they're coping as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What comes up really like sirens to me, as you say that too, Amelia, is uh, helping, helping people understand how uh, economics is weaponized. Um, that's a that's a deep dive conversation, Janet. You and I were talking earlier about you know your your experiences and how much money the institutions um, make from you know people struggling with mental health issues. Um, would you like to repeat that story that that you had told me earlier um, today? This is very interesting. So, um, in one year, I had to go into the hospital three times. My mother had died a few years before. Then my father died. I couldn't take it anymore. And I knew eventually, very soon, my husband was going to pass away. He, they, he was born with uh, birth uh, problems. So I go into the hospital, and right away, the psychiatrist is suggesting shock treatments. And I don't want to do this. And I'm so suicidal. I'm so at my wit's end. I don't know what else to do. I became kind of, I heard a great term the other day, sheeple. We're becoming like sheep, sheep, both people, but we're acting like sheep, following the herd, doing whatever everybody's telling us. So 
this was the big thing they did in this hospital was shock treatment. And I realize now, looking back, it's because very few people who worked, I don't meet many, I've been in seven hospitals, and I've met very mental hospitals. I've met very few people who know how to work with me on a real compassionate level. There was a nun who would take me aside and pray with me. That's, that's really the best I, I got. So I ended up, I found out later when I wrote the hospital and got my reports that I was given about 40 shock treatments. I don't remember it being that much because you lose your memory when you get them. So um, what happened was people started asking me, tell me about the shock treatments because I was getting so many. And I was honest. I said, well, you know, they don't seem to be helping. I'm, I'm forgetting everything. People are telling me that I'm acting like a robot. I saw it in my mother when she had them. So my psychiatrist in the hospital found out from other clients that I was talking to them. And she pulls me aside and says, I want you to stop talking about the shock treatments. And it, was, it scared the Jesus out of me. Like, really, I have to edit myself? I only was telling them my experience. I wasn't telling them not to get them. But when I left the hospital years later, I found out. That for, now, I don't know if it's true. This is what I was told. That every time a hospital delivers a shock treatment, they are paid $75,000. So now I realize these hospitals depend on doing these. They have to do them. To, that's where they're getting all their money from. And that was just so disappointing to me. I never. I hope to God I never have to go back into a hospital, that I have enough resources now. I go to Suicide Anonymous meetings, and that is what really, you know, saved me um, when I'm going down. So I'm hoping it never gets that bad again, that I have to be exposed to the possibility of shock. I had to lie, honestly, to get out of the hospital. They were going to put me in a state hospital, and I knew that would be the end of me. And so I did my Oscar-winning performance of all time and convinced them I was getting better. And I went home intending to kill myself. Fortunately, I had a miracle. I woke up one morning and I heard the word suicide denied, and now I teach workshops by that name. I, I denied myself suicide. But it's, it's scary to me. The whole thing, you're right, it's very politicized. I don't know the details like the two of you do at that level, but it scares me to even think about it. Um, I, I, you know, I really commend the work that you do, Janet. And I also experienced, um, you know, I had a period of time over, you know, two two or almost three years where I went under psychological evaluation with mental the mental health in uh, Los Angeles and, and I made a very good friend there on the board of mental health. Um, but the one thing that I realized that was sort of a disservice to the the people that are struggling with these issues is everything in the mental health community is so compartmentalized. And it's like, you know, there's almost no communication um, in between these, these uh, you know, different people that manage these, the, these, these cases and individuals. And um, I was just wondering if you noticed that as well and what your, if you had any thoughts on that. So I think what I hear you saying is you're talking about the clinical staff level of things that they there there's not a there's not a lot of healthy communication between from the clinical side to the consumers side, which by the way I think is a very erroneous word to describe mental health patients. My husband and I used to call us the challengers, not consumers. But um, is that what you mean? Is that well, what you're talking I, I, about? I mean, you know, a one mental health patient can go in and they can get assessed by one person and then they can get assigned a counselor, then they can get assigned a psychiatrist. And I just noticed throughout this process that each one of them, there wasn't a lot of communication between uh, the service providers um, themselves. On, on, right. So, right. They a lot of them are operating from a, a blind spot, if you will. And uh, oh yes, you I know, mean, I I can tell you that I have met so many therapists. I've had so many of them, 
whom I felt like I could be their therapist. Not to be arrogant, but my experience is I meet very few therapists who I believe have done the real deep work on themselves. They just, at a young age, they go to college to study to be, you know, uh, involved in the therapeutic world. And they never really get a chance to look at the kinds of emotions that we look at as consumers all the time, the anger that, you know, built up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll never forget, I'll tell you a story. I sit on the New Jersey Suicide Prevention Council, and one time I stood up and I said, you know, when I go into crisis units, they don't really talk to me about how do I feel. They ask me, do, are you suicidal? Do you have a plan? Those are the main questions. And I, you know, I noted that we need to be examined more for how we're feeling in that moment. And the questions need to be much more compassionate. And they need to establish with us some kind of relationship before they start their checklist of questions like that. And so most of us shut down as soon as we get into crisis. We'll either say, well, I'm okay, it's not that bad. Or we just you know, we, we get directed in the wrong place because we're, we stop opening up. You know, or if they do ask you how they, you feel, they'll just say on a scale of 1 to 10. And I can't stand that, those scales. I want someone to engage me and, and let me find, help me find the answers around my pain. But they're in a rush. They have to get you through and find a hospital bed for you. And so, I and so that's why there's... Yeah, I want to bring it back to... to Go ahead, I'm sorry. I just want to say this. That's why people keep going back into hospitals right after they get out. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. and I want to bring it back to this issue of emotional IQ and hand it over to you, Michael, as well. What do you what there is a there seems to be a real um a real effort to uh suppress emotional IQ. Yeah, that seems to be the agenda that seems to be the strategy um you know in business in government in politics in mental health there always seems to be like this effort to keep people from being honest with each other you know from from really exploring their emotions um when i first started getting involved with mental health work um i had um i had uh, organized a uh, an improv group where uh, real suicide survivors, real consumers from 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 mental health, would do these uh, these skits, and what they would do is, you know, they would exchange roles with some of the clinicians. They would play the the psychiatrist, or they would play, you know, uh, the caretaker sometimes. And we we revealed a lot of stuff that, you know, we really just all needed to sit down and talk about, and really try to try to find empathy for the clinicians who were, you know, were were you know, keeping these secrets or, or, you know, following these protocols. Like, you know, when, uh, you know, when a mental health consumer would, you know, outright scream saying, you know, the medication you're giving me is making me spitting up blood and telling them they're delusional, you know, for, for expressing that. Or, you know, the therapist that is constantly looking at their watch and not really engaged in listening. I mean, we got to see consumers playing that, you know, and replaying that. And, um, you know, so, you know, as soon as we kind of revealed that kind of work, you know, we got, we got, you know, our, our funding got pulled. We got, uh, you know, we, you know, we, we were disbanded pretty quickly for, you know, encouraging truth, you know, for encouraging emotional IQ, for encouraging, um, you know, for encouraging, um, intimacy and, and, um, you know, really, challenging the clinicians, you know, to, to become comfortable with their own vulnerability. I had a, uh, I had an experience. I used to work for a, a major corporation where, uh, uh, you know, we specialized in weight loss. And, um, I got this email one time from, um, from someone who sent it like 13 times saying, um, <laughs> it sounded like she was drunk in these emails, um, that, you know, that, um, you know, she, she wanted like, uh, you know, like a $5, a $5, uh, a discount or something like that. And I, as I did a little research, you know, I found out that this person was pretty high up, uh, in, in peace negotiations and in, and in mental health care. 
And, uh, and it's like speaking to what Janet said, it's like these people with high stakes positions, you know, who are, tr- you know, who are trusted, you know, with the, the mental health and emotional development of massive amounts of people, you know, they're struggling too. And, and it just seems like there's no safe space for them to let their hair down and let them be vulnerable. And I think the arts, I honestly think the arts has a big, a big role to play in this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's I, different I, I, modalities I, I, of healing, and when I decided to start my own personal project and work with you on the Karmic Margin Call project, I was so excited to hear that um, you were you were so welcoming of using arts and and Janet as well as um, a tool for healing, um, and and. I, I want to take this opportunity to talk about the Karmic Margin Call project going forward. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so first of all, the Karmic Margin Call project helps people understand um, the relationship between how they spend their time and who they spend their time with and how that relates to things on the grand scale of economic status and and the monetary system. Now, that's very confusing. I'm not going to go into too much of that uh, at all today because, uh, you know, it's a very confusing world. The world of finances and the world of, um, of macroeconomics is very, very confusing. And I think it's intended to be confusing because it's compartmentalized and there's so much secrecy around it. Um, but the Karmic Margin Call Project, you know, invites people, artists, teachers, entrepreneurs especially, to come together in fellowship and begin to understand that relationship. Uh, for instance, uh, with our play that, that Janet and I uh, produce, you know, whenever we have meetings, whenever we have rehearsals, whenever we do rewrites, whenever we do performances that we do not get paid for, these are all hours that we um, contribute or we put into the bank in our karmic margin call project time bank. And eventually as more people begin to understand um, how that time bank works, we start to kind of kind of uh, decentralize the banking system, the power center that's based on secrecy. So, um, you know, when you have, you know, a relationship that needs to be cultivated, if you have a relationship that is emotionally fulfilling for you, and sometimes that's, you know, you're doing conversations like this, you know, this is, even though we're being very real and we're having a very real conversation, you know, this is in a sense kind of like a presentation, a, a performance, and it matters, you know, every hour, every minute matters um, because, you know, when you go deeper into um, socioeconomics, when you go deeper into global economics, you know, you find out that, you know, we're dumbed down and our time is exploited and we are worth so much more, and I'm talking in financial terms, you know, we're worth so much more than we've been led to believe. And um, this Karmic Margin Call Project helps to bring the conversation back to having meaningful conversations, discovering who, who you are, what you're here on this earth to do, and then we'll, you know, we'll keep deepening that conversation until we get to the point where we see all of this time we spend creating, all of this time we spend empathizing all of this time we spent building each other up, it matters. And what it will do is it will shift power structure. And that's the Karmic Margin Call Project, and that's how it relates to what we're talking about today. It's so powerful, uh, the concept. Um, And I didn't mean to interrupt you, uh, but we are winding down at the bottom of the hour, and I do want to do a series. Um, But... Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of touch on all of these basis and then get to the solutions, discussing the solutions as well. And um, I just, you know, I'm so excited uh, about this project and doing more shows with you and, uh, you know, getting to know more of my listeners and helping other people find their unique um, individual paths as well. Um, I I don't know. I I 
want to give you and Jen an opportunity and uh, for closing arguments, each one of you. Um, so uh, whoever would like to go first. Go ahead, Janet. Why don't, uh, yeah, why don't you talk about the, the work that we're doing together, uh, you know, as far as having those deeper conversations about, you know, mental health and suicide and bullying. Well, um, so I asked Mike to direct my show a while back after meeting him and helping and, you know, presenting. He had me be a part of a project he's working on. And um, we are really trying to make suicide. We're trying to find the compassion and even humor in it. There's, there's moments of humor in our play. Because in order to really address this, what we're really doing is making it safe for people to talk about it um, and comfortable. You know, when I first started working in suicide prevention, I said to my husband, who helped me develop all of this and is now deceased, I said, let's make suicide a household word because no one wants to talk about it. They don't want to look at it themselves. You know, whether a person's suicidal or not, it's always an option when you live on Earth, you know, so... Um, uh, basically. So that's what Mike and I have been really uh, stressing is finding what's under it, but finding it in a way that's comfortable. And um, it does bring up so many spiritual questions. I was told when I was in getting help, suicide's not an option. My psychiatrist told me that. And my head said, oh yeah, it's an option and I'll show you how much an option it is. So it's also about finding, we're looking at how can we help the clinicians and the people on the other side talk to us in a way that works for us. So that's, you know, all of these things are coming up for us, trying to figure out, you know, how to make this work on this planet. It's such an uncomfortable topic. And I love, love, love working with Mike. It's been very stimulating to think about our cast gets into really wonderful conversations. So I'm not sure what you meant by closing uh, argument, but well, I argue that it's time to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I guess, I mean, we're getting towards the bottom of the hour and um, I, I, you know, yeah. before I get kids here and everything popping. <laughs> I, and okay, it, well, that's my closing statement is let's really find creative ways to approach this. Let's talk. Awesome. Awesome. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. Um, this, all of this effort is really just to, you know, to start the conversation. Um, you know, if you're listening to this and, you know, you're nurturing, you know, something that, you know, is going to do some good in this world, you know, um, you know, I'll close with, you know, my personal mission statement for the Karmic Margin Call Project, but that is that we help good people with impeccable character leverage their time and talent in an effort to save no less than 9 million people a year. And we do that through cultivating these relationships and starting the conversation. And uh, that's how we, that's how it gets done. Starting one conversation at a time, one heart at a time, one relationship at a time, one fellowship at a time. So awesome. And and so tell us uh, about the the website, how people can uh, get a hold of you if they're interested um, in uh, getting involved. Sure. Um, the uh, the website is karmicbargaincall.com. If you just scroll down a little bit, you can uh, find the area that says click here to fill out an application. You just put in your name, address, um, email, phone number, and I do ask for two uh, references as well. And, uh, yeah, we just start a conversation. We had a, you know, a wonderful exchange earlier this week where one of your listeners uh, did reach out and we had a, a fabulous conversation. And, uh, you know, but as you know, Amelia, I shared some of that with you. And uh, that's how we start it. We just start the conversation. Awesome. And my, my website is creativecrisis.com. CreativeCrisisCare.com. You can see a, a filming, not a very professional one, but a filming of the show. The call, it's called The Wizard of Is, I-V, and it's about what is. And you can see some mind skits that I have about mental health issues. So that's CreativeCrisisCare.com. Great. 
Awesome. The, you guys, this is so dynamic, and I am so grateful for being a part of this project. I myself um, have been cultivating um, uniqueness, our own individual uniqueness, uh, through example. Um, myself, I developed Orchid Freak Feel Unique, uh, art as a modality of healing, which I'm doing very publicly um, on social media. And uh, I launched my own website, Orchid Freak Feel Unique, and I also host this show, The Porthole to Justice, where I'm hoping to have the both of you back on again. Oh, that'd be nice. I, I really enjoyed this. I would love to do it again. Absolutely. It's a wonderful conversation, and I, I always love what happens when the three of us get together and, and talk shop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it's been really great. Well, um, you know, we will definitely have uh, have you back on. And also, um, I do want to meet with you and Janet about some of the uh, listeners that have um, contributed or that are that are, you know, you're that you're meeting with um, and to have them on the show as well. Wonderful. Yeah, I like to hear what people have to say about all this. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Janet Berkowitz, uh, Michael Schumann, the founder of Karmic Margin Call. Uh, Janet, you, you, your uh, website is creative? CreativeCrisisCare.com. Okay. I, I, I just want to make sure I got that. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Porthole to Justice, the window to the truth. Um, you can subscribe to my show on Spreaker.com. I am also on, on Patreon if you'd like to support my content and get access to live interviews and extra content there and archive shows. All right, everyone. You have a awesome day, and uh, I will be back on the air with guest David Malcolm coming up. Um, we'll be talking about uh, the dynamic between men and women uh, in uh, you know and and what's going on there as well. Okay, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.